Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today I am talking to Callum, a professionally trained musical theatre performer, professional wrestler in training and author. Callum, how are you doing today? I am very well. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, this should be fun. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be good. We're going to have a good time. <laughs> what was the last movie, TV show or documentary you watched? Oh, okay. So... I'm te- I'm technically going to cheat because I'm going to go with the film that I watched last night. Because okay. granted, I have seen it before. I've seen it before, but um, I watched a uh, Parasite again last night. Okay. Which um, I just think I remember when I first watched it, and I just said to myself, like, because this was I think I saw it maybe two days after the um after the Oscars win. So obviously there was a lot of hype. I saw it um and I just absolutely I just absolutely loved it. It went straight into like like next to like the Shawshank Redemption in terms of my like favorite films and like that's you know that's straight up there and also I definitely think it like it it was a positive effect for my film journey going forward because ever since I watched Parasite you know it, it does sound it does sound silly but that really did that was the influence for me to start watching more foreign films mm-hmm. which you know in the in the the months since I watched Parasite, I realized, you know, wow, I've been I've been missing out so much my entire life. Um, watch like especially a lot of um Korean and Japanese horror movies. I watched um it was the other night actually. I watched a Japanese horror film called Audition, which apparently is it's from like nineteen ninety nine, and like it's known as like a, a cult horror in Japan. I watched it; and it was it was so good. So that was that was like the last thing I watched, but it definitely let left its impression on me. What is Audition about? Because I feel I've heard about that movie before. So, so Audition is about so Audition about um is about a man who uh, so it starts off with um this man and his son and his and unfortunately the the mum dies and then several years later the son says to um his dad he's like I think you should start dating again find a new wife and then um he sets up like these phony auditions for like a new woman under like the guise of of something else and then eventually he meets uh, he meets somebody who really really gets along with and then as slowly as the film goes on we find out more and more about her past and how that sort of pertains to the character would would highly recommend very good okay okay i think oh <laughs> you know the other day you recommend a pop star never stop stopping yeah yeah i watched it last night really good oh it's so good yeah. isn't it <laughs> yeah good movie it it does what i think because i feel like i think we discussed this before when i told you to watch it my main problem with a lot of music mockumentaries is they're like well because it's a mockumentary the the music has to be bad but no it has to be so good that it can be used to be bad which i think like andy sandberg and the lonely island i'm a big fan of all of all those guys anyway and they're like their brand of music Hmm. and i feel like they definitely bring it here like the songs are so cringe but they're just written so they're so well that it's so so funny yeah really good film yeah glad you enjoyed and moving on so you trained in musical theater uh do you remember the audition process yeah so i uh so i went for my audition um for what was then known as the southern theater Arts center and then in second year it became northbrook theater and then it became then in third year it became Northbrook Theatre at Brighton Metropolitan University. <laughs> so I went there and um so we were put in a room with some of the first and second years who were currently rehearsing for their production of Bear, a pop opera. 
and in the other room was where you auditioned you auditioned for um my tutor was currently out pregnant at the time the woman who would go on to become my tutor uh so we had keith who was the acting teacher and matt who was one of the who was one of the many sing sing teachers we had and so we went in there and so I, I've said th this to you before. So in my life up to this point, I've never sung a note in my life. Mm -hmm. My um my sixth form teacher told me, you're always singing. Why don't you just give it a go? You know, what's the worst that could happen? So I auditioned to a bunch of places. That one place happened to be musical theater. So I went in for my audition and right away, we were quite petrified because something happened that we weren't expecting, but it turned out to be quite a big misunderstanding. So the first person who went in was... um. Was a guy called Connor who I went to yeah. um, uni with. He got onto the course with me, and basically, about two or three people all put like their ears to the wall as he was auditioning, and we're like, "Oh no, they listen to us while we auditioned!" And like we like like through the walls, we were petrified. We later found out that the reason they were doing this was because there's a quite a big MT community, like performance community in the uh, Sittingbourne. And they're they were all part of like the same like uh, Amdram groups, so they all knew Connor, and that's why they were listening. They weren't listening to everybody; they just wanted to hear how he was sounding. Ah, oh, I see. But um, yeah. So I went in the audition, and um, so I did Corner of the Sky from Pippin, and then I did, I did uh, G Officer Krupke from uh, West Side Story, which, as I say, I'm trying to make up for my lack of singing ability here, so. I go in there and there's a part where the people singing are just like, gee, Officer Krupke, we'll get down on our knees. I literally got down on my knees and started praying like as I was singing. I was like, I'm just going to act this song. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I got in. I got in. So, <laughs> yeah, it was um, it was a long day. We were, you know, there, there was a lot of us auditioning and that's um, why the day was so long. But um, very long day. Had kind of a dance, more of a movement call. That was pretty nice. That was very fun, very free. Not really too much pressure there. Uh, and yeah, that yeah, we were there for about oof, eight nine hours for the whole day. Yeah, it's a long day. Was there like an acting part? As in, did you have to do like um, Shakespeare and contemporary speeches as well, or did they just take in account your acting ability from your songs? They just took in the um, uh, acting account. There was no um, there was no monologue uh, to do or anything like that. It was purely come with. Um, come with two songs and then obviously be, be prepared for, you know, like a little, you know, Q&A. Mm. And I think what people don't understand about like drama schools um, is that the competition is immense. Like you'll go there and there, there can be like 80, 90 people. And that's just on one day. And they have like multiple days of auditions. Um, did that knock you at all? Or did you just take it in your stride that, okay, there's a lot of people here, but you know what? I'm going to get in no matter what. I sort of took it in my stride. Like looking back on it now, I probably would have seen my chances as being a bit better just due to the lack of guys in um, MT, which didn't become apparent until the course happened. And there was about 18 to 20 girls and only six guys but at the time, as I say, I'm completely new to the world of, you know, I knew theatre, but MT was a whole different world. So mm. at that point, I didn't really know. So I just, and I, I went in with, um, normally I like to go in with a lot of like, you know, a lot of, oh, this could be the thing. But again, never sung before in my life. And I auditioned to like five different places. And this was the only place I was going to do singing. I was like, right, this could be the last time I ever sing in front of people because I'm just going to go 
you know, I'd get in somewhere else, do straight acting, or I might not get in here and then just go do straight acting down the line. So there was a bit of hesitance there, but then I was like, you know what, if I show if I show fear, then I'm just not gonna, you know, then it's it's not gonna reflect well on me. Because mm. I, I feel like from a technical standpoint, I'm probably not gonna be the best person in terms of the singing that they see today. So I'm just gonna use my strength because I believed in my ability at the time to tell the story through my face through my hands uh, so i little bit of trepidation but overall i was like right let's not expect too much from this and then if i get in you know that's brilliant which obviously i did which was great did you live in halls or did you like rent an apartment so i lived in a so i lived in a student house which um um so basically my uni didn't have halls no one lived in halls basically when you got into the university and you got like a uni pack you got given um <laughs> like a list of reputable landlords and properties in the area. Yeah. And we, and the, so I, so I went into the audition and I met, um, I, I met this girl called Nyana who went on to be just one of my best friends in the world. And after a long, long day, she said, Hey, if we both get in, let's like, let's live together. You seem cool. And I'm like, all right, cool. And then her mom eventually found the place where we ended up living for the whole three years. And oh, that's cool. um, it was really interesting because so yeah a lot of a lot of it was um it was it was good but there was like some sort of like disadvantages to it because basically everybody else lived in in houses in town like in in worthing town center um and we were like a little bit a little bit off the way but we were a five minute walk from an absolutely huge tesco's you know it has like the opticians the pharmacy everything so that was always great and it was open till midnight so okay. there are a lot of like late night snack runs there hmm. And um, also because the campus was not actually in Worthing town center, it was a little bit further afield, like two stops on a train in, in Durrington. We ended up living in the place that was best for us because everybody who lived in town center had to get the train uh, two stops. Uh, whereas we just walked uh, for 20 minutes and then we were already there, which when you've got to be there at half eight in the morning is definitely, you, you definitely want to be glad that you cut down on your commute. Yeah. I would say, but no, um, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously I don't, uh, I have some friends who lived in halls and they've told me some absolute horror stories. <laughs> uh, but over the three years there, like I got to live with, I got to live with some of my best friends and I got to live with some very, not very nice people, but overall it was, um, it was, it was really fun. It was a lovely little house. We, it was, it was a bit weird. Cause we were like, literally, this is just like a residential cul-de-sac. It's every single house in this cul-de-sac is families like young families and then there's just us which was was fine by them because we weren't the you know the partying every night type of people that wasn't us mm -hmm. but um it, i'm sure it was just a bit weird like from their perspective thinking oh there's students in the cul-de-sac it was very weird though but no everyone was lovely and did your entire household consist of people on your course mt uh no so uh there was me and Diana who did uh who both did mt and then so in the first year there was us uh there was two prop students and then one makeup girl and then it just kept and then the next year we got a dancer and a costume girl and um and a fine art and a fine art student and then in the third year we got my friend ollie who was mt and he moved into my old room and I moved into the bigger room in the second year. So the the house was obviously two floors. So mm -hmm. the bottom floor, you had a, a fine art student and a photography student in the third year. And then the top floor was just all MT. So you had Ollie, Niana, and me. 
Okay. Uh, which I guess did, you um, had... It had some advantages to it, um, mainly because... So I would say mainly because uh, me and Niana would quite often audition together, like for the big shows. So that gave us a lot of time to develop what we were going to do, um, as opposed to going to somebody else's house to do it. It was mm-hmm. really, really good in that way. That's why I was going to um, ask, like, I guess you had your, your space to um, kind of like practice your monologues, practice your line, practice your songs. And when it comes to singing, some people find it annoying especially like musical theatre singing, like there's a lot of passion in there. So I guess you had your space to like practice without kind of like annoying um, your other housemates. I'm sure we, um, I'm sure we annoyed quite a lot of people. But as I say, in the first year, the, uh, the people who were already living there were, they were really chill. And I think, I think they were just like, they were prop students, but I think they were used to hanging around the MT kids anyway. Um, and they just sort of, uh, that was one thing I will say about the house, especially in in my first year. It it didn't feel like I was moving into someone else's house. They're very much, you know, because we moved in with third years, and they very much just sort of made us feel at home. Uh, I'm sure at some point I very much annoyed somebody. I remember distinctly in third year. This is the other way around, though. So by this time I'm on the I'm on the BA course, so I don't really sing anymore. But Ollie was having um was having a party for the first year musical theatre students. Uh, which we volunteered our house because um, it was close to the uni and, you know, it was, you know, we were all fine with it. But then it got to um, something like half 10. I don't know. I was probably in just one, one of my moods. It was like half 10 at night and uh, they were all just like singing in the back garden as you do. Mm. And my room was facing the back garden. So I, <laughs> I did open the window and just so yell, yell at them like a tiny bit <laughs> that's probably the most annoying it got <laughs> so ironically the person who got annoyed the most is probably me how did you enjoy your overall experience um studying musical theater uh i would say overall i did enjoy it i got to do so many fun productions and meet so many nice people there was of course the negatives our tutors were pretty harsh sometimes and there were moments where they would pretty much say straight to our our faces um that they saw certain people uh, in a way of you will get work in this industry and then some others they said that um that you they can't really see it i was in the latter camp there there were favorites um as there is in most things um so that was quite that was quite a negative thing but overall um, I would say for something that I'd never done before, the three years it taught me it taught me a lot of lessons. Some, like I said, some of them, some of the lessons I learned were from positive experiences. Some of them are from negative, but overall, I learned a lot. And I will say, I will say for a fact, they really did hammer home on this course audition technique. That was one thing they were really to, like really emphasized on. They were like, we can teach you to perform, you know as best you can but if you go in there and then you don't know the proper etiquette for uh, walking in the room maintaining the eye contact shaking the hands saying hello how you present yourself then it's just not going to work so i will i will say it would it very much prepared me in that regard what i will say is in this industry like from training like picking Say, saying certain individuals will work and saying certain individuals won't I, I don't I don't necessarily agree with that because like when you get in the industry like things are changing like all the time so you know maybe 
a, a six foot person might be in demand at the minute, but then like a, a new kind of musical will come along and then that 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 look won't be in favor anymore. And the person that was told you're not going to work might get all the work. Oh, I can I, I completely agree. And there are um, musical theatre has its tropes, um, mm. uh, namely, namely in terms of more of an aesthetic way in terms of both height and appearance, you know, and like, as you say, those tropes are, you know, starting to we're starting to dig away at those. So it's definitely moving in the, the right direction. What is your favourite stage musical and what is your favourite movie musical? Oh, all right. Uh, so I would have to... Oh. <laughs> oh. All right. So favourite movie musical. Right. <laughs> favourite movie musical is uh, probably Grease. Um, I love I love Grease. It's um, it's just it's just a lot of it's just a lot of fun. I, I last time I watched it was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the message the message of it of uh, you know if you want to if you want to find the love of your life you know change everything about yourself. That's a, you know we can put that to bed um, and just and and enjoy the songs. But it is it is for me what I feel that um, a movie musical should be. It's just it's just good, campy fun. Um, it doesn't take itself too seriously, but when it does have the serious moments, there is that sort of air of just fun about it. Um, so yeah, I would definitely say Grease and like the the set pieces are really fun, like Grease Lightning, where they they're in the um, they're in the automotive um, part of the school, and then suddenly it transitions into like a whole stage thing. Same with uh, Beauty School Dropout, the nice little changes from the. Uh, from like the real world locations to these to these sets i think that for me really sets it apart from a lot of other movie musicals because they are grounded but they do have these dream sequences and you do just go along for the ride yeah but in terms of my favorite musical um right so i have i have two answers so i'm going to cheat okay because um one i want i want to i want to just give a shout out to carry the musical uh, so I did Carrie the musical in the second year. So it's it's the story of Carrie based on the uh, Stephen King novel and later the 1976 film with uh, Sissy Spacek. And it we just, like we did it in second year. We had so much fun doing it. We had fake blood. We had actual fire, and wow. it's kind of um it's kind of a joke. Uh, the musical itself is kind of a joke in the no no in the um in the MT world it's kind of um it's uh it's kind of a meme if you will because. <laughs> Uh, because of how the previews went so it had it had six previews on broadway yeah. and that was that was it in three of the previews there were encores standing ovations the whole nine yards but in th the other three of them in the other three of the previews which happened to be the ones where the investors of the show attended there were choruses of boos just wow. for whatever reason and now carrie now carrie's legacy is somewhat um that of you know Oh, it's the biggest flop ever. In fact, I do have I have a book around here somewhere, and it's a book about, um, and it's a book about Broadway flops. And it and the title, the literally the title of the book is called "Not Since Carrie: Four Years <laughs> of Empty Flops." <laughs> so I just I want to give a shout out to Carrie because I had so much fun doing it, and honestly, I think um, it doesn't deserve its reputation. Great show, great music, great great rock score. Actually, you're like this. So obviously, Carrie, it's a very sort of dark rock score it very fits in with the um with the themes of the film and um the two the two men who wrote it they only ever wrote one th other thing together 
and I love this because it's such a contrast. So the the only other things they wrote together was so they wrote Carrie the Musical and the the title song from Fame. Oh, what the Fame? I'm gonna live Literally, that one. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Okay. I'm gonna live <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's just they, literally they never <laughs> they never did anything together except those two things, and I just love that. But um, so in terms of favorite musical, I'm gonna have to go with Rent uh, for okay. numerous reasons. A, it, it was the thing that sparked my interest in MT. Like I'd seen musicals before. My mum took me to see um, Wicked and Matilda a couple of times in my in my teens, but then in sixth form. We got showed the 2005 film version of Rent, and I just, I just really gravitated towards it. I loved the score. I'm a sucker for a good rock score, and I just really, really liked it. And then I've gone on to see the show numerous times. And I think the show, um, I think I, I think the reason I love the show so much is because it is, it's, it appeals to, it appeals to a lot of you know theater kids it, of that thing of you know being yourself, living the bohemian lifestyle and not bowing down to the man when you're when they're trying to crush your creative being and i think it's a message that just everybody can sort of relate to you know whether you are a theater kid or to you and is your boss who's always trying to put you down i think it and i think it's just a lovely exploration of that and the culture of new york at the time um i just I think it's yeah. I just think it's a really good show. Great music, great characters, and it's got a really good um, heart in the story. So yeah, Rent I would say is probably my favorite musical. Moving on to pro wrestling, um, <laughs> yeah. What is your response to someone saying like, "Oh, pro wrestling's fake"? There are a few ways you can respond. It depends how petty you want to be. So <laughs> yeah, you can either <laughs> you can either. Uh, you can either um so all right so uh so so Tundry, say say to me um say to me what's um uh, say wrestling's fake to me yeah so you know that wrestling you know you know it's fake right right uh so Tunji, what what's your what's your favorite tv show glee yeah see that's fake that's not real kids <laughs> the kid in the wheelchair is not even in a wheelchair but so yeah that's the that's the petty way to go about it but when mm. people say it um there are so many there's so many um, sort of synonyms and metaphors people use to describe wrestling. There's um, there's Broadway with body slams, <laughs> combat, panto. That's a favorite of mine. Um, yeah, when people say it's fake, I just go, um, uh, it is like, you know, what you're seeing, you know, it's not actually two people fighting, but I suppose the only sort of argument I would make is, you know, uh, you know, what you see may be fake in terms of, storylines but in terms of the actual pain and stuff like that you know that's that's very very real mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i like to refer to pro wrestling as choreography that's i think that's just the best yeah. for, for me that's the best way to to describe it to an individual who wants to say pro wrestling's fake no i completely agree um choreography is is a huge is a huge part of it because much like how um, when you choreograph a piece that you're using to tell a story, you know, every single movement that's made, you know, so if I'm um, I'm making a contemporary dance piece, um, if I move my hand from here to my face, you know, people are going to be like, right, why, why is that move in there? What does it tell the story? And wrestling in very much the same way is also that, you know, there are 
there are moves that are put into a match when two wrestlers put a match together that are there to simply tell the story. So it is choreographed in in that sense, I would say, yeah. Do you remember how you got into watching pro wrestling? Yeah, so I was at home just one day um, back in the old flat where um, me, mum and my sister used to live. I was just channel surfing. Mm-hmm. I saw, I knew of wrestling because my friends at school um my friends at school would talk about it and i kind of like knew about it so i knew about guys like mvp mark henry uh chris jericho i think was probably one of the first names i ever remember i remember my friend alfie getting really mad at me because i didn't realize like how nicknames worked so whenever i would ask him what's going on with chris jericho I would always say to him, hey, so what's happening with Y2J Chris Jericho? I would never just say uh, Chris Jericho. I was just I was just channel surfing one day and I came across um, uh, T- uh, TNA, uh, now known as Impact Wrestling. And I just remember it was, I remember very specifically in the ring. So the first thing I ever saw in wrestling was a betrayal. <laughs> it was um, It was a match. Samoa Joe, Samoa Joe goes to tag in Kevin Nash, who was his partner. Kevin Nash drops off the ring apron and he walks away. And I'm like, what's this? Why has he done that to him? He's supposed to be his friend. <laughs> and then um, that sort of sparked the interest. And then I watched it. And so I would watch it every Sunday. And then I think maybe for like a year before I realized that actually the Sunday showing was a repeat. It actually goes out on a Thursday. So I was like, I've been watching Because obviously, you know, it's still... It's still one week away from the last time you saw it. But in my mind, you know, my young mind, I'm just going, oh, my God, I don't have to wait as long now. It's on (laughs) Thursday. And then so I just watched that week by week um, uh, for about three years. And then eventually my dad uh, got Sky. And then I was able to watch. um, I was able to watch WWE. So, you know, I was getting like a double dose. (laughs) So, yeah. um, So literally just random channel surfing is how it started. All right. So what kind of uh, pro wrestling do you like? American, British, European, Mexican, Japanese, or, or like a mixture? I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm just going to be, I'm going to have to be that guy and just say, I, I, I do enjoy it all because <laughs> I think pro wrestling much like, much, much like, much like theater in any capacity, you know, not one thing is going to, is going to make everything okay. Wrestling should be a variety show. So yeah. you've got the you've got the British catch catch can style, which is very it's very all about sort of holds and reversals. Um, but that may not entertain somebody. And then you've got Japanese strong style, which is all about you know obviously they it's all you know they know what they're doing. Um, but you know they really lay in you know the punches and the kicks very hard. And then you've got comedy wrestling, which has been which has been pioneered by people like uh, Colt Cabana. People who watch uh, WWE or did when they were a kid uh, will remember, of course, Santino Marella, mm-hmm. uh, big uh, big comedy wrestler. And he and it was really good for it. You know, people say, "Oh, comedy wrestling that's you know that's for the kids." Yeah, um, wrestling should be for everybody. There should be something for everybody. And then you've got obviously the lucha lucha libre style, which um, growing up. Um, when I first started watching TNA, uh, they have their division called the X Division, which is about lots and lots of flips, lots of dives, uh, which is heavily inspired by uh, Lucha Libre, a style uh, which then in America was transitioned more into what's now known as the cruiserweight style. And, you know, that was what grabs my attention, because when you're a kid, you're like, oh, my God, these guys are jumping off everything and doing flips. So I would um, 
I would say I'm a fa- I would say I'm a fan of uh, probably most styles, and then you know there's more the European style, which is a bit is a bit of a combination of the English style and the Japanese style because you've got the the hard hitting strikes along with the more technical ways. But so wrestling should be a variety of shows, so I do enjoy watching it all. Sometimes I'm I'm in the mood for some silly comedy wrestling. Sometimes I'm in the mood to watch two guys just absolutely go for one another. It, it all just depends, really. Okay, who are your top five wrestlers? Oh wow. <laughs> Or, or, or top three. I'll, I'll, I'll top uh, five or top three. Evil one. All right, all right. Okay, so I'm gonna have to. So first of all, I'm gonna have to stick Kurt Angle in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, grew up on a lot of TNA, as you know, and Kurt was just amazing at the time. And obviously, he's got the legit pedigree of being an actual Olympic gold medalist, and in my opinion, is just one of the best to ever lace up a pair of boots um who else uh i would actually oh my top three um gotta have aj styles in there one of the first ever wrestlers that i loved as a kid um and yeah he like he introduced me to the to the cruiserweight style um of just high dives and just exciting action and i think if i want to so the, those are two people who, for me, are on my personal um, like Mount Rushmore of wrestling. So I'm going to say one more because I, I'm going to say somebody who I feel that is definitely already on there, but still has a good few years to go. And that's definitely uh, got to be Kofi Kingston. Ooh, oh, because, wow. Uh, we've okay. obviously discussed Kofi before. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know how anybody could, could disagree because um, I was... I'm in that position that many people were. I was watching WWE ECW at the time. I watched him when he debuted, when he was Kofi Kingston, and he had the the fake Jamaican accent and everything. And, you know, I just watched him through the years winning, you know, a US title here, an IC title there, some tag belts, and then eventually all Coleman. And that's what I say about uh, wrestling being a variety show. As you know, he joined up with the new day and they're very funny and silly but then when they get in the ring you know he can go kofi i think is a good component i think he's a good halfway mark for people who a good proper like storytelling hard style with a bit of cruiserweight stuff mixed in there Mm -hmm. and obviously you know he just kept ascending ascending up the card until uh wrestlemania when he won the ww title which again as we've discussed before for me it's just one of those moments where wrestling is just absolutely magic there's this guy been watching for so that was that was 2019 so for 11 years you've just been watching this guy and then suddenly you're like oh he's gonna win the big one because as i and that's another thing because you know wrestling is a lot about likability and kofi is one of those people that along with people like Zack Ryder in wwe also people just decided at some point this guy seems really nice. He's really good in the ring. So no matter whether he's in the main event or he's not, we're going to support him and we love him. Mm. And then, like I said, for a lot of guy, for a lot of guys, you, for a lot of guys, you see like as fans, you're like, oh yeah, they were that too, but they never actually got to reach the top. But he did actually get to reach the top. So um, I'm going to try and you know what? I'll go with two other two other honorable mentions because I can't. Yeah, that's my top three, definitely. Okay. But I want to give I want to give a shout out. I want to give a shout out to uh, to John Cena. Oh, okay. Because uh, he's 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 John Cena, and you know he he went through that period of time where um 
where you know uh, for about maybe eight years <laughs> where everybody hated him kids loved him and he sold a lot of merch but no one liked him and they were like oh we can't wrestle and then after like a hiatus he came back and just he started having matches with like Sami Zayn and AJ Styles and people were like what scene where has he learned to do these moves but like he could do the, the do them the entire time and then um this final one because i because i do just want to mention him i'm sure you know who i'm gonna have to mention uh and that is my boy uh mike mazanin otherwise known as the miz because oh. for me the miz um so obviously you know his background so this is background was starting out in reality television um, and then he eventually made his way through a WWE reality show, got signed, and he went through a lot of hardships. Won the WWE title. People were so mad. They were like, he doesn't deserve it, and he doesn't deserve to be here. This being more from the fans' perspective at the time. And it really wasn't until sort of 2016 where he was doing a lot of great work of his career. He really refined his character, and mm -hmm. it was something that even though he was a bad guy the fans really resonated with and he was just he was the best part of whatever show he was on that week yeah and i just really respect him for really pushing forward because many would and many have just sort of given up he was given a tough time when he very first started you know he he did some things that were seen as wrong so he had to change he had to change in the toilets of whatever stadium they were performing in for six months and obviously um as he said on his documentary, which I know you watched too, he said yeah. just how humiliating that was. He's getting changed in the public toilets and people can see him. So like, how does that make him perceive, um, make him seem perceived to people? But most of all, I he is truly my biggest inspiration, not in wrestling, but in life, because I feel there was on a much lesser scale, you know, he wanted to be a wrestler and then he, he did it. He faced a lot of hardships when I went to uni, you know, I wasn't given a hard time or anything, but I was in there with people who had been doing community theater and singing since they were about three or four. So I definitely felt like I was out of my element and much like he felt he had to, you know, work just that bit harder to prove himself. I very much felt that as well. And he definitely and he just inspires me in in my literally just in my day to day every every couple of days as i said to you the other day i will go back and i'll watch um the promo uh the wrestlemania uh promo package uh with him and Cena, where it just details all these sound bites of his career in wwe of all the times people said he didn't belong there and then he made it to the top of the mountain so yeah that's um I could go on and on about the Miz. I, hmm. I, he's such an inspiration to me. But no, that's uh, that's what I'd say on my five. Are you a WWE person, or do you think the different brands are good competition? Different brands are so good competition because you, you've got WWE, you've got AEW, Ring of Honor, uh, Major League Wrestling. All this is wrestling. You know, at the end of the day, the the fans win. And as you and I have uh, talked about uh, before. The worst part about wrestling right now is tribalism, which definitely happened when All Elite Wrestling started because people are like, oh, you can't like one and, and not like the other, which is just absolutely ridiculous. At the end of the day, there's wrestlers in WWE who I love to watch. There's wrestlers <laughs> in AEW who I love to watch. If, mm. the, if I love that particular wrestler, I'm going to go watch them no matter what the company they're working for. It's really irrelevant to me. There's obviously 
you know, when you've got a certain wrestler that you're like, oh, I'd love to see them face off against so-and-so who's in a different company, which can be obviously a little bit frustrating as a fan because like, I really want it. Uh, but no, um, yeah, literally just um, when it comes to wrestling, like with anything, uh, like what you like, like, um, I think to make sort of a theatre comparison, you know, you wouldn't, uh, you know, because obviously you've got all the different theatres, you've got Lloyd Webber theatres, uh, Macintosh theatres, you know, how, how silly would it be if someone said to you, oh, I'm, oh, yeah, I'm not going to go see um, that show because that's on uh, a Lloyd Webber theatre. That's not a Macintosh musical. You'd be like, that's utterly ridiculous. <laughs> Do you remember the conversation you had with yourself when you decided, you know what, I think I'm going to train as a pro wrestler? I do remember very specifically because it was, I was at work, I was at my old job and I'd been wanting to do it for a while. And there was a wrestling school local to me. And there was, um, there was a wrestler on Twitter who I'd had, I'd had some friendly interactions with her and she was quite in her voice about how much she'd loved going to shows and stuff like that. So I don't know this person, but I sent her, I sent her a DM just asking, what would you say to somebody who wants to, who wants to give it a go and god bless her like i said she does not know me we've never had interactions but she messages me back with just the most lovely lovely message about how if i want to do it i really should do it so i've been having this conversation with myself since about third year of uni which is when i sort of got back into wrestling after my break of a good few years and that was the moment that i just went yeah this this is right this feels right could you talk us through like a typical um, pro wrestling class? Like, how what's a warm up like? Uh, kind of exercises and and you know j just a typical class. What 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 is a typical pro wrestling class? Yeah, so um, on a typical class. So um, when I did it, I did what was uh, called the beginners class, which was essentially eight weeks long, um, three hours every Saturday morning. And then uh, and then at the end, you do um, you had like an exam to see if you could move up to intermediate. Yeah. Um, and then so, yeah. So when we started, it was quite funny because when we started, um, I hadn't, you know, I'd been out of practice of dancing and such for quite some time. So I wasn't in the best shape. Hmm. So when we started, they were very they were very kind to us. You know, the the warm up was, you know, a nice little jog, you know, all right, 10 squats. All right, now 20 squats. All right, now the same for press ups, same for crunches. And we were like, oh, this is really good. And then as the weeks roll on um, that, you know, they really pump it up a gear because at the end of the day, um, being in ring shape is very, very important, uh, not just for your own safety, but for anyone else you're working with. So it just ended up that we did a thing called a deck of cards, which um, is a thing that um, it's it's my most hated thing and my most loved thing at the very same time. So essentially, you um, you can get like a deck of cards app on your phone in any phone, and then basically what you do is is uh, you assign an exercise to a particular suit. So squats are diamonds, and then you go through the thing, and then oh, the first one on there is the six of diamonds so you would do six squats and then you do that with every single card until the deck is finished you know oh you've got four crunches over there and yeah um sometimes they would be kind to us and uh sometimes they would be kind to us and uh, like jacks kings and queens they would make fives 
Sometimes if we were slacking a little bit or just for a laugh, I guess, they'd be like, right, Jacks, Kings and Queens are going to be 10s, 15s. Sometimes they were 20s. You know, they were really working us. And you end up doing about oh, like over 100 of everything. So and that's the warm up. So that's the warm up. That's the um, that's getting you ready to go. <laughs> I know, literally, like, I, I mean, I can safely say on many, many occasions, like just jelly legs just i i'm reaching over to my water bottle and i'm like right 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 if it's all over and then they're like right time to get in the ring and we're like oh yeah that thing too <laughs> so after the after the warm-up get in the ring and then um so yeah the same thing would happen for the first few weeks you know because you're just getting the muscle memory we would do rolls we'd learn how to do uh front roll back roll um side like the side sideways rolls um which are really good and then after then after that, I didn't expect this in my first lesson. I was I was excited to do it, but I wasn't expecting it. They were like, right, and now we're gonna learn how to bump, which is, you know, teaching yourself how to fall properly. And um again, didn't expect this in the in the first class, but I was like, so um uh you could make your choice. So you could either so they taught you the technique of how to do it, and then you could either you would be in a position where you're sort of like crunched, like with your knees to your chest and then fall back that way. And then just to sort of get the technique down. And then after that, you would have to stand and do it. So you do the, you do the um, back bump, front bump, flip bump, all the bumps. Mm. Uh, and then, uh, like I said, so we were just doing that. We were doing that for a couple of weeks. And then as the time went on, you learn how to do sequences so you start off um, by doing um, a lockup, shoot somebody into the ropes. There's a shoulder tackle. You do a drop down. There's a leap. You leapfrog over somebody and then uh, give them a hip toss. And then basically just learn how to basically just drill that sequence into you. So you know how to do it from a technical standpoint. So you know how to do it. So you can do it time and time again, because it's one of the it's basically it's the basic sequence of wrestling moves that you then can basically branch off um here and there to do something different but still keeping it within this um this same exercise if you will and then yeah so sometimes so we would just do that and as i say as the weeks went on we learned how to do more and more and then sometimes at the end um if we had some free time we would get what was just known as like free ring time where basically they'd be like right so we don't have um so for the last 15 minutes and they'll just go around sort of the circle, like whoever like gets the chance, gets the chance. And they just go, right, um, what move would you like to learn? And like, we'll obviously try and teach you it as basic as possible before we go. And so we, and, and yeah, so you would just uh, learn how to do that. So I threw the open bit at the end. That's how I learned how to do like a suplex and a spear, um, which was really fun. I remember we, so we did the first week of training and then, um, on that Saturday, my training school, because they run their own promotion, they had a they had a show, which um, we always went to the shows. It was lovely to support everyone, uh, particularly uh, David Francisco, who um, was our main trainer and um, um, a wrestler. He's wrestled here, there and everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. Such a such a great guy and such and such a great trainer. I because I did I doubted myself um, going into the final week where we had the exam. Um, and he really did. And it was we. there was a show the night before and I went up to him at the merch stand and he just he just said to me simply, he's like, don't be nervous, don't be nervous. And so, yeah, I, I owe a lot to him. So we would go to the shows. And I remember that very first show they did the sequence and they did a hip toss. And I turned to my friend Glenn and I said, 
isn't it weird watching a hip toss now because we know how to do one you know it, it's it doesn't look anything like theirs but like we know how to do it basic so um yeah and then as the weeks went on we learned how to do more and more stuff but yeah so uh general sort of um wrestling training session will consist of your warm-up slash cardio and then uh and then some ring time two things i think uh from your kind of like description it's fair to say that pro wrestlers are essentially professional athletes from from that warm-up that that sounds like a professional kind of like athletic kind of because like, because i used to play rugby to quite a decent level when like yeah that that pro wrestlers are professional athletes um and second what what was the exam what did the exam consist of uh so like i say completely agree yeah they are they are athletes at the end of the day um whether like i said whether to some people they go well they know what they're doing so it's not as impressive at the end of the day you know we were taught we were taught early on you know there's a big you know as much as you've got to learn how to do as much with as little time as you may have on any given day you've got to learn how to go you know and because you can go for very long stretches so they they are athletes they are athletes and i in terms of you know both from both from a, a cardio and just a pure work ethic standpoint and what they do, you know, I, I think they do deserve to be put up there with, um, with your track stars, with your footballers. I would, I definitely agree. They are athletes of an extremely high level. And so the exam was, um, so the exam was, it was either six or seven things. Basically they were just taking everything we'd learned and we would essentially just run it. So first thing we did, um, oh God, what did we do? What did we do first? So we did, so we did lockups and reversals. So basically they just popped two of us. So we were all around in a circle with, um, with, with David uh, watching us. And basically they would give us 30 seconds. You would do a regular lockup. You would then go into a headlock, a hammerlock, basically just do hold reversals for 30 seconds, which as I'm sure you'll appreciate from doing like minute monologues, you know, you know, a minute in your a minute to them is a lifetime in your head when you're doing anything and people are watching. Mm. Uh, so we did that, and then yeah, they would just uh, base us on a technique and stuff like that. And then uh, we did the the rope running, which um, is just the technique of how to uh, use the momentum of the ropes to bounce off of. So i I passed every uh, I passed every bit of the exam except for rope running. My rope running was absolutely just atrocious. Um, and then we did, then we did the rolls like that was its own separate thing because rolling is very important. So again, again, they just, you know, you all line up, you go round, and when it's your turn, you know, front roll, back roll, side roll, left side roll, right side roll. And then again, they're just watching you and they're just examining you. And we, then, um, we did the, uh, because we'd been learning strikes as well. Um, so you could... You could do forearm, you could do chops, you could do European uppercuts. And then they just asked, they were like, right, we need you to do pick three. So they said to us the week before, they're like, pick three and then do three of each. And then uh, uh, they just throw you in the ring with somebody and somebody's just got to take what you're dishing out. Hmm. And um, yeah, there was stuff like that. There was um, the cardio, like that was important. So basically we got the most brutal deck of cards we'd ever been given because you know, before they can even rate us on how we go in the ring, they got to know that, you know, we don't do the deck of cards and then just go, 
right, 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 I'm done. I can't do this anymore. So cardio was like a huge part of the exam. And so overall, they just they just marked you on everything. And then at the end of the exam, which um, was very funny because it went on a bit longer. So I actually had to get cover from somebody who was at work to cover the first hour of my shift until I would manage to get there. So everybody got called over and they got told whether... So basically what they did was the point of the beginner's course was basically um, to to then send you because they run regular classes. So they were like, right, so if you pass this, you can then start going to intermediate level classes. And um, and then basically, so that was just it. So if you pass, you got to go to intermediate, which was really great. And then I think, yeah, so everybody got, um, everybody got like got their answers and I got called over. There was just three of us left and we got called over and our trainer, he just, he, he was having a bit, he was having a bit of fun making us, you know, cause obviously we're just like, oh, we really want to pass. And he was having a bit of, having a bit of fun with us. So he sat us down and he just went, right. Only one out of the three of you can actually pass, which was like, he was just messing with us. So he was just like, right. So you've got to answer this trivia question. And the, the question was how many uh, pairs of wrestling boots did John Cena own in his rookie year? And, uh, to say we were way off the mark but then he, he said he was like i'm just messing with you you all passed and yeah that was that was a really good feeling i went into work that day feeling really good because again it was something that i really wanted to do and then i found the passion for it after a few weeks you know as much as i was very tired and i was hurting um and it was just a really good feeling to go wow i really passed it and then again when i passed it David shook my hand and he just gave me a knowing look that was just like, I knew you could do it. I had faith mm. in you. And I was like, oh, David, please. Uh, uh, how many pairs of wrestling shoes did John Cena own in his rookie year? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, It was something like 75. That's a, that's a crazy amount. Apparently, I mean, if you go, it is, if you go back to his rookie, it, it makes sense though, actually, because if you go back to his rookie year, like when... You know, uh, when he faced Kurt Angle on SmackDown, that sort of time when he was just wearing short, like regular wrestling shorts, he would come every week in different of boots to match. So, yeah, you could reasonably say he probably had quite a lot. Moving on. So you recently wrote a book. Could you tell us a little bit about it? So, yeah. So in the... So in 2020, so last year, my friend Amy hit me up and was just said, hey, um, some friends of mine who run their own, um, who run their own theatre company based in Brighton. So basically they had a show ready to go for Brighton Fringe Mm -hmm. and they were, and obviously Brighton Fringe did not go ahead. And then Amy just told me, hey, we're doing a book. Um, I knew some of the people in this group reasonably well from my time because they were all um they were all alumni from my uni so i you know a few of them i i knew i'd seen around um but amy was uh like the bridging gap she, she's a good friend of mine mm. and she just asked hey would you like to write a story um for because it's um the book a collection of short stories and i said yeah that sounds great and then so i started writing it and then eventually this all turned into everybody doing two stories, which was great. And yeah, it was really fun. It was a nice sort of, um, it was a way to keep busy, but then that's what it started out as. Like, it was like, oh, this is just a fun little project um, to keep busy. But then as I started writing it, you know, because it, the short stories, you know, they're, they're short stories, you know, they don't have to be that long but with the first story. 
it just got longer and longer and longer because I was like, oh, I want to expand on this world like as much as I possibly can while still keeping it short. Mm-hmm. And eventually it turned into, as I say, it turned into two stories, uh, which I decided to um, intertwine the two worlds because I, I just thought it, I just thought that'd be neat. <laughs> but it was um, and then eventually. So about once a week, we would have a meeting where we would read each other's stories and then give feedback that was really helpful um especially as somebody who so at uni when we would do our own independent shows i would i would do the scripts um you know nothing too intricate but i would just i would script i would just say all right this bit and then that bit here's some dialogue like i'd write the dialogue um but this was in terms of writing in this style um completely new world for me so it was really nice to have a group of people who whilst uh none of them had that experience either. We were all learning together, which was really nice. Um, and I learned a lot about um, the dif- the difference between, you know, writing for film and then writing in more of a, uh, more of a fiction novel type basis. And then eventually um, the, they all came together. All the stories came together in um, our lovely book. And then uh, eventually, and then eventually, yeah, we, we published it, um, through through amazon and uh we saw we saw we saw quite a few copies we were really happy like we were just happy when the first one you know even though it's our it's our mums and dads and families and friends buying them but obviously we were really like oh my god like um like i've got my copy uh in my in my room just on my bookshelf and i haven't <laughs> so i haven't actually read it <laughs> but the reason is because the reason is because i i because i've i've read all those stories so many times through yeah. both writing through my own stories and obviously you know um critiquing and working on the other stories um by the other authors of the book yeah um but i really just love having them there because um uh, amy uh, she's a she's an artist as well so she designed the the cover and she designed the little insert where it's all so the uh, the book is called uh, raccoons are hard to come by and in the bit you've got little uh, author bios with uh, little drawings of us as raccoons um and yeah it's just nice because it's there on my shelf and i sometimes do just i don't read it i just look at it and i just go wow like we actually did this like we started it um in i want to say july of 2020 and we published it just before christmas so it was a long journey and i don't think we actually thought we were gonna end up finishing but then of course we did and um and I had a lot of friends who um, who bought the book. Uh, very thankful to them. And like, um, do you have a favorite quote it. or saying? A favorite quote or saying? Oh, I don't know if I. T- I'm sure I do, but I can't think of it now. How about a favorite quote from a movie? Favorite quote from a movie. Oh, now you're asking the big questions. <laughs> um. It's kind, uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of a quote, in a way because, it's so it's actually from uh, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And it's the bit where Leonardo DiCaprio's character does um, a scene in a film with a little girl, and um, and she after they do the scene, she um, whispers in his ear, and she just goes, "That was the bestest acting I've ever seen," and. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio just breaks into tears because of how that affected him. So 
you know, I don't think that's going to be a famous movie quote in times to hear, but I remember when I first watched it and just the quote itself and then the reaction it invoked to who it was said to just really resonated with me. I remember that shot was in the trailer for, for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well. And when I saw that in the trailer, I was like, oh, this movie's going to yeah, be it was. good. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, because I remember we did, because um, we did a, a midnight staff of it the day before it came out. And I remember I really didn't like it. And then um, I was told to watch it again. I genuinely do believe for me, that's my favorite Brad Pitt performance. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's it's, in- it's subtle, but it's not like, yeah, it's not like seven or fight club. You know, he's very in the back. He's an integral part of the background and there'd be such a hole in the film if he wasn't there. So I really feel like he's, he, I really feel like that's why for me, it's my favorite Brad Pitt performance. Hmm. Fair enough. Okay. Callum, thank you so much. Um, but just before we go, where can people find you on social media? On social media. So uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at CalGilfoyle20. Uh, <laughs> so C-A-L-G-U-I-L-F-O-Y-L-E 20. And uh, on my Instagram, uh, I go by my um, wrestling handle when <laughs> when eventually I actually get the chance to have a wrestling match. And that's uh, Tristan the Pretty. So like Megan the Stallion, but Tristan the Pretty. Cool. But no, Tanji, uh, thank you so much for having me. I've had such a lovely time. It's been a pleasure. Um, I'll leave your social media details down in the in the description. And I'll also leave a link to your book down in the description below. All right, guys. Thank you so much for watching. See you soon.